welcome to another episode of the Insatiable Woman Podcast. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing today? Doing good. How about you? Good. You're looking cute with your little uh, top top bun that the listeners can't see. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Curly girl method, alive and strong. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. I feel that hard. So today we're going to dive into the topic of polarity, and this is the third episode in our three-part series where we break down the feminine, the masculine, and now we're breaking down polarity. And we're going to just dive in with what polarity actually is. So polarity is a term that is used in the conscious community, the um, kind of spiritual community, and it relates to relationships and how partners interact with each other in relationships in a dynamic that is polarized. So polarity and and polarization is the concept of having two opposites coming together and creating attraction. And it's similar to in nature, how magnets work, how there would be a uh, positive and a negative north and south, those types of opposites. Um, So with polarity in relationships, we talk about it being the the masculine and the feminine. Um, And again, like we said in our previous episodes, it's not about gender because you could have a same sex relationship and have polarity. You could have one partner who occupies more of the feminine and one partner who occupies more of the masculine and have polarity. So it really does not uh, depend on your gender or your sex um, because these energies are present in all of us in, in, in nature and in humans. And you can cultivate more of one or the other based on how you feel and what your preferences are. So the, the this episode, we're, we're speaking to those of you who want polarity. We're not saying that everybody should have polarity or that that's the best way to be in a relationship. We're speaking to just those people who want that, who want polarity. So um, just that's our little disclaimer that this is not a blanket statement about how all relationships should be, but this is our perspective on what polarity is and why you might want polarity and our experience with it from the good, the bad, the ugly, and all of that. Yes. And I think that from my perspective, what initially drew me and I'm sure Evelyn as well into this is that you know, there's all these things people say about long-term relationships and your sex life that things just fizzle out and you have to rekindle it. And it's this whole thing. It kind of sounds unpleasantly intimidating. So this concept of polarity is so empowering because it's basically saying the opposite. It's like, no, you can cultivate that attraction, that spark, that fire anytime. It just takes a little bit of effort in this way, but it's totally doable. And that's what I find so exciting about it is because I no longer feel powerless to the time in a relationship that eventually like dwindles down that spark. So it's an empowering way to take control of your relationship and get the relationship you want, uh, rather than just be a victim to the spark fading and leaving. Yeah. Cause people assume that that's just how it is. And people just say, oh yeah, well, you know, 10 years into a relationship, you can't expect it to be juicy, but you actually can have that. So that's why we're bringing this episode to you. So I want to start with the history of it. Um, the history of kind of the 
why polarity has died, or I should say why we don't talk about it, why we don't talk about polarity, why we don't talk about um, feminine and masculine. And I, I think we touched on this a little bit in the last two episodes, but just in case you're diving in and you haven't heard those two, there was um, basically, there are a couple different layers that we have to break down and, and explain in order to make this uh, understandable. So we've got the concepts of masculine and feminine, which are energies, but then we've got our, then we've got gender and then we've got biology, um, which I would say biology kind of is the base. It's the base of the mountain. If we're going to build a mountain, start with the base. So the base is your biology, whether you're born into a female body or a male body, you've got a biology and your biology um, has a history. That history, it comes from evolution and, and evolutionarily we have, um, kind of a male history and a female history that comes with different hormones. Um, the masculine hormones of testosterone make you more single focused, make you more apt to be, um, in the hunting energy, whether you're not, you don't have to be hunting in the woods, but a hunting energy and, uh, people in a female body come from a history of having more estrogen, having, um, more ability and capacity and a need to be more of the gatherers, the connectors in a community. So all of that history we carry in our bodies and the biology, then the level up of the pyramid or the mountain would be gender. And with gender, um, you know, however you identify women have been largely suppressed for a long time and made to be less than and given less power and having power taken away. And so in the feminist movement of the sixties and 1960s, women rose up, we had a feminist movement and we reclaimed our power and we said no more. And that led to a, a real anger. I think a, a real like rightful anger that came up from women collectively about our suppression for so long. But with that, the result of that was that we lost our femininity. We lost our feminine energy and we wanted so much to be equal that we took on a lot more masculine as we were leaving the, the home to go into the workplace and become more hunters. We out we almost like overdid it and we like outperform men. So now women are so far and so deep into their masculine and they're, I think we're kind of closing the cycle where it started out. Women were suppressed. We gained our power back. We came so deep into our masculine and then we burnt out. And now we're realizing, Oh, I don't want to be so deep in my masculine. I want to know that I can control, like not control. I, I want to know that I'm capable, but I don't want to burn myself out in the masculine. So that's where we are now is women are coming back to that realization of maybe I don't want to be so deep in my masculine. Maybe I want to work in a business, but I don't want to come home and also stay in my masculine. Yeah. And I think that I understand like why it went that way, because, you know, we've done that in our own lives on an individual level as well. But I think that's where the movement is kind of shifting because it was almost like, okay, we're equals. We can do exactly what men can do totally. But now we're at the point where we're like, I can have the same effect and get the same results as men, but in my inherent feminine way. So while a man may get the results by doing something more single focused and going about it that way, 
as a woman, we might do something a little bit more slowly, intentionally, um, even sensually, like just making something better, more approachable for us to do. So it's redefining like productivity and results and however that is and still getting things done, but in a way that is unique to us and honoring that inherent femininity instead of pushing it to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like really rewriting the, the rule book, recreating the rule book. And I was just thinking how, how does this apply to a non-binary person, a non-binary person who doesn't identify as male or, or man, man or woman, um, whatever your biology is. So you have an interesting kind of journey where you've got a base of your mountain, which is your biology. You were born male or female, right? Into the body with those hormones. Um, and you, or, or what maybe you're transgender, whatever you're just not, you're not, you don't identify with the, the, the sex that you were born into. You have to contend with the biology that of that and the hormones of that, but then layer in what your what energy you want to be in. So let's say you were born into a male body and you've got a lot of testosterone, but you identify more as feminine. Then you even have more complexity to work through as your, maybe your biological instinct takes you kind of in one direction, but then your, your spiritual, your energetic impulse takes you in another direction. So this is very layered, but we're really giving you permission. We're trying to give you permission to rewrite the rule book and do it in a way that feels good for you. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't identify with the gender they were born into, I feel like they are breaking down even more boundaries and like rewriting things in a new way completely. Um, Because like, it's like going beyond what we understood as traditional roles and finding a completely unique, authentic way to go that just kind of has broken all previous rules. So that's like an even, even larger impact to make. Yeah. Absolutely. And we welcome all of it here. So our take on polarity now is about reclaiming and rewriting, just feel really feeling into what is true and authentic for you. And then showing up in your relationship as that, knowing that you want the, the opposite, maybe you don't want the polar extreme opposite, but you want a compliment to it. You want some sort of compliment to what you bring so that you can have that union because polarity really is about bringing together two opposites to make a whole, not that you're incomplete, not that you're not whole already, but that it's creating a union and you get the experience of union by that coming together of those two energies. Um, so what I want to do is talk about the unhealthy, how, how polarity can exist in an unhealthy way. And, um, it probably would help to explain David data's three stages. So I'll start with that. Um, so David data is the author of, um, many books, one of which is called the way of the superior man. And in that book, and then in a lot of his other books, he explains the three stages of polarity. So stage one is more of a unevolved conscious, um, unconscious and unevolved kind of unconscious dynamic where it can be kind of codependent. There can be some trauma bonding, um, where, you know, you're extremely in your feminine or you're extremely in your masculine and you're in an, in an unhealthy way. So you could be the, the crazy quote unquote, crazy feminine, like the crazy girl who is raging and flies off the handle and is like throwing dinner plates. And she's that stereotype. And then the man is, 
or he could also be in his kind of overly aggressive masculine and um, he's controlling, domineering, um, whatever the case may be. You're, you're both in an unhealthy energy and you're coming together because it's magnetic. So you're, you're um, attracting your equal but opposite energy, but in, in an unhealthy way. And that's where the dynamic of push and pull comes from. And I can say, I'll give an example. When I was in my twenties, basically before I started therapy, I was attracting equally unhealthy masculine partners. So I was in my, I was in a more feminine energy, but I was in a a very undeveloped, both undeveloped and a, a toxic feminine energy where on the one hand, I was kind of like looking for someone to save me. But on the other hand, I was like hyper manipulative, hyper manipulative, <laughs> unconsciously manipulative. And, um, I, I attracted many partners who were in their, um, either undeveloped masculine who were like either doormats. I would kind of go back and forth between like a doormat, um, people pleasing kind of nice guy who didn't speak his needs at all to an overly aggressive, toxic, controlling partner until I got into therapy and saw through some of those cycles. Um, so you, that's where a lot of people find themselves early in their dating life or their, um, their life where they're just, there's this explosion. And I would get into these huge fights. I remember before my ex-husband and I got married, we would get into these huge blow up fights and he would call me crazy. And, um, he, he just didn't understand me. He really thought that I was completely bananas. Like he thought, there was something wrong with me because he couldn't understand how wild I was. I was like completely, totally wild. Um, in my, in my reactions, it was like, I had an, I had a feeling and I reacted on the feeling immediately. Um, so that would be how I would describe stage one. It would just be like responsiveness, um, with no consciousness. Caitlin, would you want to add to level or to stage one at all? Yeah. Um, it was similar to your stage one, uh, whereas like attracting like a doormat and then overly aggressive for me, I was going between the doormat, the really nice people pleaser, didn't know how to set boundaries, um, didn't know how to speak his needs. And then men who were just not interested in me. (laughs) So I didn't really do the overly aggressive guy. I did the like barely present guy. Um, so it's funny to, to hear the two differences, but yeah, it was definitely between guys who like would not give me the time of day or would give me like 20 minutes. And then I'm over here. Like, I think he's my soulmate, (laughs) just doing bare minimum to get my attention. And it worked fully. And then like, I had bleachers filled with doormats, like waiting for me to give attention to or something. So it was really interesting to see, to be between the two, like such far opposite ends there. Yeah. It's funny how with us and our whole trial and error experience, we have gone to the extreme ends of the spectrum. I remember my very first, um, I wouldn't say serious relationship, but my, my first like long-term relationship, I was, I was like 16. I was with the partner for, I think a year, year and a half. And he was a doormat. And, and I, I looked to him for love and un, like unconditional love and safety because of my childhood being so chaotic. And my dad being this like bully, this incredibly toxic, masculine, um, very aggressive, abusive, masculine energy. And I, so I swung to this very like, 
um, safe masculine of like, he's totally never going to hurt me. He's not capable of hurting me. Um, but he is masculine. So I'm going to go that far. And then after that, I swung to an aggressive one. Again, I swung to a, an Arab man. I'm not saying that all Arab men are like this, but I swung to an Arab man who was, um, incredibly psychologically manipulative and controlling. And I put all my faith in him as like my, my leader and trusted that he was going to tell me what to do and how to do it. And that felt safe to me. And then I saw that broke apart. That was, that blew up in a big fiery car crash. So then I swung to another safe kind of doormat, um, type of partner. And then I swung back to the aggressive side and literally it was like bouncing back and forth in my relationships until I found myself in therapy. And that's, so that's the end. That was my end of stage one. And when I started therapy, I started to see through, um, the, the, I call it the lobster effect. So when you, if you think of a lobster, lobsters have these claws that if you put anything in the claw, even if you just put like a wooden stick or something in their claw, they're going to grab it. They can't help it. There's a, there's a, a, a biological response they have that their hand will, their claw will close on anything that it, that it touches. So it's a lobster effect when you're so unconscious that you're running on autopilot. So I was very much in that like lobster uh, reactive mode in my early twenties, my teens. But when I started to go like slow down and go to therapy and see myself, I was then aware that I didn't have to be that way. It was like, oh, the moment that I notice the stimulus, I can stop and think about it. And what do I want to do? So I, um, so stage two is much less of that fiery, crazy explosion. And it's more, it's like a talking phase. Stage two is when you become conscious and you use your words to communicate your needs. So what I began doing, and I was with my ex-husband at the time was we learned how to express what we were experiencing. So it was almost like we would have a trigger. We would get both get upset. And instead of going into the, um, the explosion that we used to, we would stand in that energy and we would just narrate it and be like, I remember one fight we had, it was about him, um, locking the screen door. So like what, for whatever reason he would lock our screen door with our, like if it was summertime and we'd have the door, the main door open, but the screen door would be closed to let some air in, he would lock the screen door. And I don't even know why it upset me, but it was like, I didn't want him to lock the door because sometimes I'd be outside and I'd want to come back in through the, the screen door and it would be locked because his instinct was to lock that door. Right. And I remember just getting so mad, like you locked the fucking door again, you know? And so what I would do is I would sit there with all this seething rage inside me and I'd be like, so how I'm feeling right now is that you locked the door again. And that makes me feel like you don't love me. That makes me feel like you don't care about me. And so I was kind of holding this like anger in me, but, but locking it in and using my words. And you can probably even hear in my voice that I'm not really fully expressing it. I'm only partially expressing it and I'm containing the rest. Um, and we learned how to get through some of our conflicts that way through intellectualizing it. So it's like, we brought it from, from the primal level, the animalistic reactive level to the level of the mind, but it, it, it locked up all those emotions and those emotions stayed stuck in my body. And that's the problem with stage two is that when you bring it up to the level of the mind, 
there's nowhere for those emotions to go unless you have a, a practice of releasing those emotions, which most people don't. Um, and then what ends up happening is it kills the polarity. In stage two, you both become these equal um, sort of floating heads and you just dialogue and tell each other how upset you are, but you never express the, the upset. You just talk about the upsetness. And so for me in stage two, that's when my sex life died. It was like, it just fell off a cliff. <laughs> Imagine that car, the car didn't crash. There was no explosion. It just went right off the cliff and it just didn't exist anymore. So um, stage two is a, a long, many years phase of really believing that, okay, what I'm being told in therapy about communicating and nonviolent communication and all this stuff, that's the right way to be. And I'll just do that and be happy. But I had, I had increased my happiness because we weren't having these blow up fights, but I had reduced my happiness because there was no polarity and we weren't having sex. And eventually it got to the point where it was like, well, are we just roommates then? Like, what, what is this? If we're just talking, talking it out constantly, there's no friction, there's no passion. Then what is this? There was just, um, it was just talking. So I'll just stop there. Cause I feel like you've probably got your own stage two. Um, I feel like my stage two, I didn't know about, like, I didn't do the talk therapy thing with like a partner. Um, I did it in my own life, but I didn't really bring that to relationships. So I think my stage two actually came from learning about polarity. Um, and I feel like my first instinct, which I think is natural for, I would say everyone, maybe, uh, most people is to, like you were saying, intellectualize what I learned about polarity. So I feel like I tried to, and well, it wasn't embody that. I didn't try to embody that. I tried to speak it, but I would speak polarity things and it would be completely brain. I'd be like, okay, well, this is a feminine response. This is a masculine response. And I was dissecting it in my brain and I would do it in that way. So again, I would be speaking my feelings or how I'm interpreting the situation, but it would be all up here in the head. And it wasn't coming from the body. It wasn't coming from the heart. Um, it was very, very filtered. Um, in another way I was tricking myself into fitting into this box um, by speaking the polarity into existence rather than doing it. But I do think that that still served me very well because I was able to kind of almost like build the foundation of getting present enough to see what my feelings are in the moment rather than react unconsciously. So I do think it's an important step because you're not going to go from unconscious to completely like artful with ease and naturally expressive and accepting of your own experiences. So that middle stage is super important because it, it highlighted a lot of what I was feeling and allowed me to slow down and be like, okay, I'm thinking this and like, I can communicate that. Okay, cool. That's good. Um, but yeah, I would say it, it did the same because there's nothing sexy about sitting across the table from someone and saying, well, hello, you hurt my feelings yesterday by this. And like, <laughs> this triggered my thought of this thing that happened in elementary school and I didn't like that. And then him saying like, oh, I didn't mean to. I apologize that you felt that way. And I'm like, excellent, let's resume. Let's resume dinner, you know? That was yes. All right, guys, we're interrupting this episode to let you know about our free relationship coaching sessions. That's right. Each month we're giving away one free relationship coaching session to a listener of this podcast. 
on this coaching session, we're going to dive deep into the patterns that exist within your relationship and give you tips on how to drop deeper into your femininity, release the toxic masculinity so that you can have a healthier relationship with more polarity. For a chance to win, simply review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, screenshot your review, and email it to us at support at evelynhale.com or DM it to us on Instagram. And the links for Caitlin and my Instagram accounts are in the show notes. Now back to this episode. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to knock that because that's definitely an improvement on a stage one toxic relationship, but it's yeah. not juicy. It's not juicy. Like it's it sort of, it's like, okay, if you get there and that's the improvement that you're looking for, cool. But to me, that's just friendship. That's, that's like what a, me and a friend would want to do so that we can stay friends. It's not what I want to do with my sexual partner. Like with my sexual partner, I want to have chemistry. I want to have mystery and intrigue. And so we, my ex-husband and I got to the point where we had just talked it all to death to the point where it was so clear, you know, when, a when something would come up, we could easily pinpoint and be like, this is the thing that always happens. This is the dynamic that always happens, of course. So let's find another way to avoid the dynamic from happening so that we can keep the peace. Um, and it became, um, for me really, really painful when I realized that I had all these, these sexual needs because I had kept my sexuality locked up in a box. Like after I woke up from stage one, I, um, where I, so I, I was having a lot of sex in stage one, but I wasn't quite in my body. I wasn't quite really present for it, but I, I still had a desire for it. Um, but then when I moved into stage two, it was like, there's no friction there's no need for it. So I locked it back down. And then after 10 years of being in stage two, that sexuality really reared its head. And, and, and that longing brought up a lot of grief for me about, wow, I've been living without this basic human need being met for so long that how are we going to repair this? And that that's really, that was the beginning of the conversation with my ex-husband about how can we change this dynamic? And that was the beginning of me looking into the, um, the polarity work and reading about David data and, um, all of this stuff. So ultimately what we came to in our relationship was the agreement and the understanding that he, he didn't want to work in that way. Um, in that, in that framework. He didn't want to work in that framework of moving into a stage three relationship. And that is perfectly okay. That if, if your partner doesn't want to work in that framework of moving into a stage three relationship or, um, prefers to have more of an intellectual relationship, then that is okay. You cannot change that person. You have to accept like that you are on your own path. They're on their own path. And if it's, um, if you guys are not meant to continue walking on that path and how can you end that, how can you end that in a peaceful way? Um, so that's really where I began stage three and stage three is when you, uh, come back into your body. So I'd say stage one pr primal body, you're in your body, but it's primal 
stage two, it's just the head. And then stage three is like the full, the full embodiment, the healthy embodiment. And you can bring back your sexuality in a playful way. And, um, and that's where you can become polarized with your partner in a healthy conscious way and in, in an artistic way. And the, um, the, my biggest expander for this is Madeline moon. So find her on Instagram. She's at Maddie moon. And or wait, is she, is she at Madeline moon, Caitlin, or is she at Maddie? I think Madeline, Madeline. That's right. Okay. I wanted to make yeah. sure at Madeline moon, she's just phenomenal. Um, because she's got these, these reels and these videos and clips of her actually playing and expressing in her, in her stage three, um, full range of feminine. So the, so stage three is about embodying the full range of your energy, whether it's more feminine or more masculine. And you could even be both and express the range of both. If you decide I want to be both, I want to be both masculine and feminine. It's just about expressing all the flavors of that. So Caitlin and I are always talking about what what are the flavors of the feminine? What are the like archetypes of the feminine? Caitlin, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there's so many aspects to go into. So we have, um, there's just so many different textures of the feminine. So I definitely think there's that like, almost like childlike kind of needing attention. There's that primal like earthy crunchy woman there is that seductress there is the demoness there is the lover there is the devoted housewife there are all these different expressions that come up and you can compare them all like you can kind of link them to a specific emotion if that helps um i know that we were literally yesterday we're talking about um evelyn puts it into perspective of like something that naturally occurs in nature it's like a storm you know like i think the lover like the lover would be like a a beautiful sunset um, I think that like devoted housewife would be like, I don't know, peak of the day at, at the morning, like 10 a.m. sunshine, like just doing things and providing. And then you have your demoness who's like a tornado or a hurricane that just rolls through. So it's really holding all of these in the emotion that triggers the archetypes. Um, and I know almost probably about a year ago, we were having a conversation about maybe it was even longer than that, but when the emotions come up and like embodying the emotion authentically, like, well, I don't know what that feels like. Like, I don't know what anger feels like in my body. I don't know what sadness feels like in my body. Like, I don't, what does my body do when it's sad? I have no idea. So if you're kind of in that point, because hearing all of this and like, okay, yeah, I would love to show my partner sadness, but I don't know how, or I would love to express sadness, but like, I don't know what that is. Um, my biggest help for this is playlists. Um, finding a playlist that is the energy that you are looking to work with more within yourself. Um, and there, there are playlists for everything. And that has been super helpful and just kind of creating a safe space in your house or wherever you're living to even just 10, 20 minutes to kind of, even if you just sit with and feel the music, you don't necessarily need to do any movements, but just actually let the music like penetrate you and feel it and like what does this feel like are my shoulders slumping and what face am I making what does this feel like in my chest in my legs and my arms um because if you then when you 
have an emotion come up, you recognize like, oh, I, I, I can feel that heaviness in my shoulders. I must be sad. Or, oh, I can feel that fire in my stomach. I must want to burn down a building. Um, and that will give you so many tools because it is ultimately about embodied communication and then eventually playful embodied communication. Oh my God. Yes. And this helps you in every aspect of your life. And it's important that you do this for you, not for your partner. I will say that I initially did it because my unhealed like childhood wounds wanted to have a masculine partner who would be more of what I wanted. So I went into it with the hopes that I would have the relationship that I wanted. So I almost came into it out of a sense of control and manipulation. And it just, it like chewed me up and spat me out and was like, no, 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 that's not, that's not at all how it's going to (laughs) work. Almost like someone was just like patting my head, like, oh, you're so cute. (laughs) You think it works that way, but it doesn't work that way. And what I have found is that I have to be, I have to do this for me. Um, Otherwise I can't do it at all uh, because it's about expressing myself regardless of what anybody thinks. And that's the scariest part is I saw um, one of Madeline's stories recently, and she was talking about why do we do this work? Um, And it's because we want to fully express ourselves. And part of expressing yourself is trusting that no matter what you do or say that you are, you are being authentic to you and it it will repel some people and that that's okay. So I've had to get comfortable with repelling some people, like not caring what happens, even in, even in my romantic relationships, like speaking an authentic truth that could hurt them, but it's my truth. I'm not saying it to be hurtful. I'm just saying it because that's how I honestly feel. And just being like, Oh, you don't like that. Okay. That's, that's okay. Like I honor you for not liking that. I honor you for having your own reaction, but still my truth is my truth. I completely agree. I did the same thing, you know, almost getting into this work out of some form of manipulation because not trying to manipulate a specific person, but like, I don't know, the universe, um, trying, you know, doing it for an outcome rather than just to honor myself and then coming back to myself and realizing, well, it slowly started turning more into a practice of like, what's my truth today? Where am I today? How am I feeling today? And once I kept like redirecting that back to me rather than a relationship or a person, I, that's when I really started to uncover more and more of myself and not just because even the person that you are when you're with this one other person, isn't always the full you. Um, I don't know if I would say it's ever the full you if you haven't done the work just for yourself first because there's still something there where you're hoping for a certain outcome and even with an unconscious hope for a certain outcome you're unable to show up authentically because that's still present in you so and when we talk about the purpose of this work I also think when we were mentioning unity earlier it's when you come into harmony with yourself, full acceptance of yourself and like authenticity for yourself. And then you bring that into a relationship. So you're expanding from unity within you to unity within another. From an energetic standpoint, that ripple effect, that energy of unity and unconditional love and authenticity and acceptance and fullness 
impacts so much around you, whether you realize it or not. Really, like from a bigger perspective, zooming out on like, I can get really dramatic about this, but on a global level, <laughs> coming into <laughs> harmony with yourself and others is so impactful. And you can't truly come into harmony with others if you're not actually in harmony with yourself and presenting your authentic self. That's Caitlin's Libra stellium, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it into, is. <laughs> into astrology, Caitlin has a Libra, a Libra stellium, which means she just has a lot of Libra in her chart. Um, but I love that. That's beautiful. And like when you were describing the unity, I was imagining waves like on, a, on an ocean and the waves cresting. And that moment when the waves like crest and peak and you see the white caps, that's how I think of unity. Like unity is not, it's not the ocean. It's the crest of the wave because we can't always be in unity. That's, it would be impossible. We wouldn't have polarity if we were always in unity. Like, um, I believe that we, we do, I don't know how to explain it. We want to be in polarity to experience unity, but we can't experience it all the time. We have to be comfortable with other states of being where we're not in union. We have to be comfortable with separation so that we can come back into union. Um, and that's been a really d difficult journey for me, but also a really rewarding journey for me. Like, the pain of that has been hard, but it's been very rewarding to accept and really trust and know that unity is something that I want, but it's not a permanent state of being, if that makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, we are on this planet and, you know, I, I do think that that would be nearly impossible. And I think unity is almost like a false, having unity all the time is kind of like a false hope or like holding on to something that's just unrealistic. Um, but in coming into unity and relationship can also just be accepting your partner for who they are and like not needing, uh, one of my biggest, I would probably say this was like a, a stage one version of me was feeling the need to have a partner that was like on the same page as me with everything. Um, because I was like afraid of friction because I was like, okay, if we're like, we're both really into yoga and we're both plant-based and like all this stuff, it's gonna, it'll just be perfect, you know? And I feel like that was definitely a naive expression and hope that I still have to sometimes remind myself is not accurate. Um, but that version of unity is not authentic. I don't think that's an authentic unity. I think an authentic relational unity is like being okay with being different, being okay with space and still like having this one, unit that you are if that's how you choose to go into the relationship with with that goal um but yeah like accepting the differences accepting the space accepting the sometimes turbulence yeah i feel like what you described is almost a stage two the you, you know i want my partner to be spiritual with me i want him to do yoga with me or whatever you know i want my partner to be into the same interests that i have that that's a stage two i think because you're looking for a mental connection. I see a lot of people who want their partner to just get them, quote unquote, like just get me. And that is, um, well, it's an unrealistic expectation for one, um, for a lot of reasons, but it's also, it, I would just ask you to think about that deeper. Like, is that really what you want? Because 
then you, then you're creating such a similarity that there's no mystery and the mystery is what makes life exciting. So like with the waves, the, the symbolism of the wave crashing and cresting in that white cap, you've got water coming from one direction and another direction, and then they meet. Um, and, and there's this union and it's beautiful. And then there's a separation again. And so we're constantly coming together and pulling apart and coming together. Um, but in stage one, where it's like this primal energy, we come together, we crash and we explode and there's this big, you know, and then there's like this fallout of, uh, I know for myself, I would have these moments of like union, um, which would feel really satisfying. And I would be like, this is my person. I've met my soulmate. Like, yes, like this is it. This is the pinnacle. And then immediately after that, there would be some devastating fallout where we get into a blow up fight or there would just be these misunderstandings. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't just stay in that perfect, like the perfection. Why can't I stay in this moment of perfection? And that was so painful for me that um, I just kept seeking it out and like clawing my way back to that. And that was part of the problem. That was why I kept finding myself in those dynamics. Um, And then I took my hands off the wheel, lived in my head, gave up the dream almost of that like perfection. I thought talking, I thought I could talk my way into that. And now in stage three, I'm practicing on, um, well, just one accepting that it's not going to be a permanent state of being that I can, I can come apart and be okay. And then when it happens, it's even more beautiful. Um, but I can also deepen into my own expression of my full range of feminine emotions, whether it's, um, playful or sensual or angry, um, or just devoted, like all of these different flavors. Yeah. And when you said that, like clinging to that one moment of perfection, it's like that attachment to that one moment of perfection mentally and emotionally completely shuts you out to the rest of the picture. So it's like, we're just holding on to that one piece, like hoping it comes back and unintentionally disowning any other experience from coming into our field or the acceptance or expression or participation of it. So it's almost like a, a delusional state. I've definitely been there too. Um, and yes, I definitely, probably one of the biggest blocks in relationship I have ever experienced through my like self-work was that stage two, what we described of like wanting someone very similar to myself. Um, and what I ultimately experienced that as in the end was an invitation back to myself on a deeper level. Um, I think that core wound for some people comes from the desire to be validated by someone else who is similar to you. So it's almost like their life path mirroring yours, like validates your own experience rather than you validating yourself and coming home deeper to yourself and owning your expression by someone who may not totally get it because you don't need them to validate be like oh my god it's so amazing that you teach yoga to orphans and like I wish I did that like you don't you don't need that you validate you and then you have them there as well it's totally separate Mm, mm, I love that do you teach yoga to orphans Caitlin (laughs) No, I did teach yoga to autistic children though. <laughs> oh, Validate me. No, just adorable. <laughs> that is so adorable. Um, so I actually just something, and I just got this intuitive nudge. We should talk about polarity in the workplace and 
um, in other types of relationships and other types of, of ways so that the listeners can understand how deep this this concept really goes. And I was thinking of the example in like a workplace where you're um, maybe you're on a team with some with other people and um, you're you're all bringing different flavors to the team to accomplish a goal. So all the energies together create something that you couldn't do individually. Or you're uh, maybe your boss and you have an employee and you're trying to motivate that employee. So by using the dynamics of energy, and you understand that your your worker is is motivated by certain things. You provide something that they need for, and then it energetically incentivizes them to show up differently. So polarity is no different than that. It's about embodying something to get more of the the flavors that you want, whether it's in relationship or it's in the workplace or I don't know. Do can you think of other examples, Caitlin? Um, yes, I feel like I experience this every day. Uh, One of the biggest things that I took away from reading The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong, which we've mentioned, and I think both the previous two episodes about this, um, one of the biggest things I realized is when she listed all the ways that the feminine or women in general can sometimes unintentionally emasculate men, um, honestly, a lot of them ticked off boxes of things I did at work all the time to the people that I manage. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> especially because where I was working um, was predominantly a male staff and being like a female leader there, I was kind of trying to get them to do their work through masculation. And I didn't know that it wasn't intention. I didn't have any ill feelings toward them. It was just what I learned. It was just, this is how you communicate. So when I started kind of occupying a different space at work, I feel like it created more of an authentic connection between them and also inspired them to want to get the work done faster. So whereas I would say like what I thought was playful or joking, which makes me cringe now, uh, something to, you know, like, oh, like doubting their capability to get a task done, I would say something like, oh, well, I'll have you do this, like, unless you don't think you can, like something like that, which is like so offensive and hurtful. Um, But I was like, oh, I'm challenging them, like, they'll like that. And then I, you know, after reading the book, I would say like, oh, I was going to have you do this task because oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of how I would do it. But I would put it in a way that oh, I would say something like, oh, I love when you take care of this specific thing because I know that you always come through and it really makes me feel like taken care of that I can rely on you to get this done. And they would be more than happy to get that done immediately versus me questioning their manhood and trying to bully them into doing it. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, we should totally do an episode on that of how to communicate with different, different energies, what different energies like. So the masculine energy likes to provide whether it's a male body or a female body, whatever body you happen to be in, and you want to be in a masculine energy that the purest form of masculine wants to provide. So when you speak to a masculine person and you say, I would, I I need this from you, like just the word need, I need this from you. And I know that you can provide it. And then you thank them and you say, thank you for providing that. That's very nourishing to the masculine. Yes. And that's definitely what I I have shifted my whole like workplace dialogue around because it, it's so much better. And I, I don't feel, 
I feel good after like that, those types of interactions. And then kind of with what you were saying before, as far as like the different styles of, I interpret it as like different styles of leadership, you know, they all kind of bring one thing to the table. That's, that's been something that has been very freeing but challenging for me to have stepped into in the past year, whereas accepting that my leadership style is super unconventional. Um, in where I currently work, we have a team of six leaders. Um, and I think in looking at it from this lens, they all have a different style. Um, and I know why they're all important. And for mine, I always joke that my official title should be vibe queen because I prioritize so much like the environment, making sure things look really nice, making sure that we have good food, like making sure that things are taken care of in that way. And whereas in the traditional sense, like maybe not everyone sees the value in that or sees that as important toward getting results and goals, but it's been completely the opposite. I definitely see increased, um, results in productivity when I do stick true to my own style and make that a priority. Mm, yeah, I love that. There's so many ways you can kind of play. And um, I, one example I have with friendship is with my female friends. I don't really have any male friends. So with my female friends, I uh, can bring some masculine energy sometimes to kind of give offer it as like a gift to them. So last year when my friend, um, it was my friend Emily's birthday. I, I said to her, like, I'm picking you up. This is the day I'm going to pick you up here. I'm picking up at this time, be ready at this time. And like, this is the attire. And, and it wasn't anything fancy, but like, this is generally what, what we're going to be wearing. Um, you're going to be out for how two or three hours. I will have you back by this point um, and be hungry. And she was delighted. She was like, oh, this sounds so fun because she could just relax into her feminine. And that was a way that I just brought, brought the masculine energy. It doesn't mean that I am primarily masculine, but we all have access to that. So I was like, how can I gift her with something that she doesn't have? And she loved it. I th that's amazing. I love that. And it, it, it is a gift. That experience is a gift. Just being in that energetic dynamic is a gift. Yeah. So it's really fun. And you can find numerous ways to bring that out in your life. If you let it be fun and you just let it be light and you, you trust that you're just practicing, that it's not about like the final performance. It's just about in this moment, what is the energy needing? What is the energy wanting? And how can I provide that? Or how can I deepen into something, um, that maybe is uncomfortable for me that I want to that I want to work on. Cause there's always, always an edge of practice. Like for me right now, my edge of practice is expressing like anger and expressing that without the fear of loss, the fear of withdrawal by the masculine, you know, um, I think a lot of feminine essence beings fear that fear expressing their authentic anger, um, in a way that is not outwardly, like not blaming or shaming or emasculating, but is still true. And, um, you're still holding your sovereignty and you're still like doing the work to know that you will be okay. If they do withdraw, that's a very scary place to, to practice in. It is, but it's such a powerful 
emotion. And, you know, when we are able to utilize those emotions there, they have purposes, you know, they anger gets anger gets things done. Sometimes, you know, you need it and you can't shove that down. Um, I would say my edge of practice right now is with a darker expression, just in general, I definitely have like a childhood wound around being like the good girl, like always light, always bubbly, always like uplifting. And so this has probably been something I've been working with since like March, like working because first it was back to the music. Like I had to, I was like, what does the dark side feel like in me? Like, this is so foreign. So I found a couple really good playlists that are like really evoke that dark side. And then I'm like, okay, what do I do with you? Like, where is this, where does this come up in my day-to-day life? Probably not every day, but you know, some days, Um, but letting it come up and like run its course. And I guess my biggest fear from that is like, one, what if, what if it just takes over? I don't know. Um, But also like, but people, my value lies in like my brightness. Like that's definitely what I've seen. Um, And a lot of people who grew up in like very religious, like organized religious settings may feel that way because of the heaven and hell dynamic. They may think like, if I'm not good, like there's repercussions, you know? So it's working through that and like creating space for the dark side to come through. And it's, and there are so many benefits to it too. Just like the anger, you, you need both expressions. Yeah. I think about like, what if nature didn't, have these kind of explosive disasters what what would the world and the earth and the environment you know atmosphere what would the, the physical planet be like if we didn't have earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis and wildfires i'm not saying that those things are good but i'm but i guess I'm, what i am saying is that they might be necessary i'm not a scientist and i don't understand why those things occur but i do believe that nature knows how to balance itself. Nature knows how to harmonize. And I think that, um, as much as it is, it is devastating to our communities, these, these natural disasters, there is some wisdom to it that we can't really understand. And the feminine is a, a symbol, a representation of that. Um, it's an embodiment of that, like the chaos of nature and the, the wisdom of nature, the feminine is the Oracle of that. So sometimes the, the demoness, the darkness, um, the destructive part of us, the flavor of the feminine, sometimes that's the medicine that's needed. And it's really hard. I really honor you for practicing on that because, um, it's very, it's very unusual. It's very rare to see a feminine who is comfortable in that energy. Yeah. And I love your example of nature because that's almost like a permission slip from nature because it's like, oh, well, this wouldn't exist if it wasn't of some benefit. And I sometimes think also just like that the sun has to go down eventually, like it can't be sunny 24 seven, like, you know, for myself personally, cause that's kind of a, a pressure I put on myself, but that you do need that like quiet, dark, calm time to like to rest in. But then I also think about animals and nature and acting on their ingrained nature. Like if, uh, a lioness feels like her cubs are being threatened. She's not going to be like, Hey, can you like not do that? Like you're making me uncomfortable and I'll, I'm going to bring you brownies next week. Like, I know we just moved in like, but just like, don't do that. You know, she's going to be like, I'm going to fucking murder you and not think twice about it, you know? Yeah. And there's a purpose for that. Yes. That, that reminds me of a, um, an interaction I had a few months ago when I was taking my son 
to the playground and there was a man who made me feel super uncomfortable and um, long story short, my, my instinct was to ask him to leave the park. Um, and after asking him and him not complying with that request, I felt this rage bubble up inside of me. And I felt this just instinctual feeling of like, if I had to, I would violently and, um, almost joyfully like hurt him. <laughs> I don't want to say joyfully in the sense of like, it wouldn't be out of a sense of glee, but it was, it's like willingly, like I would have without any hesitation, if he had advanced or come after my son, I would have, um, had no remorse or qualms or even fear. It was almost like, I'm ready to go. I will kill you. Like I will use my nails, my teeth, whatever. I will rapidly murder you into the ground because you do not, you know, hurt my child. And so there's these flavors that come up. Obviously I didn't, <laughs> I would be in prison <laughs> and we just left. That was the right choice is just to leave. I'm not saying that you should act on that, but it was a flavor that came up and the flavor, um, obviously you can't always embody the fullest extent of it, but the flavor for me was just a witness. I had to witness it and be like, yeah, okay. My primal, my most primal energy, I, I have access to that. And like how empowering, because sometimes it's scary just to go on a walk like by yourself, you know? And then if you don't know how to like consciously harness that or know that you have that depth it's so much less empowering other than knowing like I've felt what has come bubbling up from me and I know what I'm capable of and like I know I can call on that when I need to versus like well I know it's broad daylight but if somebody comes out here like I'm just gonna die because I don't know what to do and like that's all I can do right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's it's it's very it's empowering yeah it's empowering so I think that's a good place to wrap up for the polarity episode. We will um, be back next week with another episode and we'll continue the conversation about the feminine and how you can deepen in and play a little bit more. And we would love to see you in the Facebook group. So if you're not already there, head over to the link in the show notes and we will, um, we will love to interact with you there. So thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Insatiable Podcast. For more free content and a chance to interact directly with Caitlin and I, head over to our Facebook group, The Insatiable Podcast, at the link in the show notes. We can't wait to meet you and interact with you. Until next week, take good care of yourself.